Uh, before we start, uh, let's just have a quick prayer. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that we can come and learn about your word, Jesus. Thank you that we can come and uh, find out more about you, that this book has been talked about uh, for 2,000 years, more than that, Lord God, but still, each time we pick it up, we find something new. Let our hearts be ready to hear. Let our ears be ready to listen, Lord God, as we learn more about you and what you want for our lives, God. We thank you that you're a good God. Amen. Harvard University, uh, the biggest institute in America, commissioned a report, a, a research project, to try and work out what made people happy. The report spanned 75 years, so it followed, in effect, a group of people's lives. And it looked at a range of things. It looked at work. It looked at careers. It looked at wealth. It looked at material things to try and work out what was the key, what was the thing that they could tell everyone made people happy. The report was compiled by uh, a range of sociological experts and uh, people who were masters in the field, uh, the best of the best. And when the report was compiled, when the research was finished, they found that, something that probably a lot of us know, that no matter how much money people had, no matter how far they got on the career ladder, no matter how many things they owned, no matter how much money they had, it didn't satisfy people. It didn't make people happy. They found that the people who felt that they had a purpose, that they felt that they were significant, were happier than the people who didn't. No matter how much money they had, no matter how many material things they had. Now today, uh, we're going to dip into Nehemiah. Now we've been exploring Nehemiah and we've finished it, but as I was preparing what to talk about, I felt God was just telling me to just dip back in. So we're going to go back to Nehemiah 1. And we're going to start to look at and see how we can find our purpose within the church. So my good friend Paul is just going to come and read for us just the first part of what we're going to look at. So it's Nehemiah 1, just chapter 1. Thanks, Paul. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the, month, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayers of your servants is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. 
Great, thank you. So whenever I look at a piece of passage, I think it's really important that we get a context so we understand we don't just pick a verse out of its context. We need to know what's gone on. So there, I've asked Paul to share just so you understand what's gone on a little bit. Now, at some point, I think we can all say that we've wondered what our purpose is, what God is calling us to do. Now, we find with Nehemiah a man who came from relative obscurity. He wasn't really well known. And he's come out and he's found his purpose within God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at it and we're going to pick it apart, some practical points. I love to make things practical. Try and look at some practical points that we can apply to our lives. Now, I'm focusing today specifically on our purpose within the church. Now, some of the things that I point out might be applicable to other areas, but this is kind of the heart that it's come from within the church, just so we're clear on that. Okay? Now, within the research, within the Harvard University research piece, buzzword kept coming out. Purpose. Purpose purpose that was the thing that people made them happy that was the thing that satisfied people finding their purpose now before we start to explore this it's really important that we define what purpose means we need to know what is meant by the word purpose now the dictionary definition sorry of purpose is the reason for which something is created or made for so it's the reason for something is created or made for now we all have a craving in this life We all want a purpose. You just have to open a magazine, turn on the TV. People are looking for a purpose. They want significance in their life. Okay? If we look at, um, for instance, uh, I was looking at an article while I was in the Barbers, um, and it was talking about um, somebody who'd got to the top, got loads of money, and they were showing off all the boats and things, and that was their purpose. But as the research found, it doesn't always make happiness. People still find insignificance in their life. Now, for us to understand purpose, the definition said it's the reason for which something is created. Now, we need to know then, why are we here? Well, there are two thought processes for for this in society. The first one is that humans are here as a knock-on effect of a series of things that have happened. So, for instance, um, if we think of a cell that's mutated... A cell that's mutated from that to something else, to something else, to something else. But the only problem with this is, if that's the case, we're not made for anything. We don't have a purpose. You see, if we're here by a series of accidents, you don't have a purpose because you've not been made for something. So what's the other thing we can look at then? Well, the other thing we can look at then is that what God says. What do Christians believe? Well, Christians believe that God made us. And where does it say this in the Bible? How do we know this? Well... Psalm, 39, uh, Psalm 139 sorry, tells us that God knitted us in the womb. God's made us. We're not here by accident. God's made us. Isaiah 43 goes on to develop this. And he says that God created us for the purpose of bringing him glory. So as Christians, we believe that God's knitted us. He's made us for a purpose. We've been made for something. And Isaiah tells us that we've been made for the purpose of bringing God glory. Our purpose, therefore, is to bring glory to God. And this is reassuring thought. When I was thinking about this, this is really reassuring because if God has made us, if he's given us a purpose, our lives have significance. No matter how short they are, God has made you for a purpose. Your life has significance. And I felt that was something that God really wanted me to just say to people, that your life has significance. It does. No matter where you are in life, your life has significance. Because God didn't make us because he had to, 
but because he wanted to for his joy, to bring glory to him. So God chose to make you. God's chosen to make you. He knitted you for a specific reason, which we're going to unpack today. Now, John 10.10 builds on this, and it tells us that God came so that we might have life, and life is all its fullness. So we've been knitted together. Our purpose is to bring glory to God, and he's made you for a reason, so that you can have life and life in all its fullness. You see, God wants you to enjoy him. God wants you to enjoy him. We're told in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that God has planned for us. So he's made us. He's made you to bring glory to him. And he has works planned for you. So if our purpose is to bring glory to God, the next question logically is, well, what are these works? What does he want us to do to bring glory to God? Well, the Bible tells us that we have a commission. We have a great commission to go make disciples of men. Why? Because we're spreading the good news about God and this brings glory to God. Because God can take people from the worst situations and from the best and come to know God and turn their life around and that brings glory to God. So our commission is to go and make disciples of men. The issue with this is that sometimes we get frustrated with this. You see, particularly in the church context which I'm focusing on today, we can look at people And look at other people and focus on the people who we hear about on the radio, the news, and think, they know what they're doing, but what's my purpose? I've done that. I thought, Billy Graham, for instance, he saved hundreds of thousands of people, but I don't really know what God wants me to do. What does he want me to do? I look at Mark, for instance, leading the worship, but what does does God want me to do? What does he want me to do? And it's at this point, it's really, really important that we remember 1 Corinthians 12, which tells us that we're all part of the same body. We all have a purpose to go make disciples of men, but we're all different parts of the same body. You see, some of us, my wife's brilliant at this, she's the brains of the body. She's the planner. She's fantastic at planning things ahead. She's great. I'm rubbish at it. Absolutely rubbish, but she is brilliant. But then, some people have the hands Some people like to get stuck in. Some people like to put the chairs out. Some people like to serve tea and coffee in the hatch. All work together in perfect unity for the body of Christ. You see, if we didn't have chairs out, how could people come and sit down? If we didn't have people preaching, how would people learn about the word? If we didn't have somebody leading worship, how would people encounter God? If we didn't have people serving tea and coffee, how would people stay around after and chat? All working together is vital. We all need to work together with our giftings and recognise that we might have different giftings from other people. You see, Jesus told us that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Okay, vital thing there. You see, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So we need to work together to our strengths that God has given us in order to see people saved, to make disciples of men. We all need to chip in in order to fulfil our purpose. I'm just going to tell you a quick story about my mum. Now, my mum is a wonderful woman. She's, um, she was widowed overnight. My dad died in a car crash, uh, left with a three-month-old baby and a two-year-old baby. She stayed overnight. And despite all that was going on, she still stayed true to God. And she's quite a shy person, to be honest. She's a wonderful woman, and she's really, really shy. So her gifting, she would never say, is to stand at the front and talk. She would say her gifting isn't to play music. But... I just really want to just reinforce the act of the whole of everyone's different gifts, really. 
Now, when we were back in another church, I, was, I used to love inviting people over. I used to love inviting people over back to my mum's house. So I can remember once I rang my mum and I said, Mum, I've got eight people, can you make some dinner? About half an hour. She was like, yeah, of course I will, of course I will. And then I turned up with 16. <laughs> God, she's got grace. <laughs> and I said, Mum, I've got 16. And I was just, I could preempt what I thought she was going to do. I was going to get the look. I was going to get, the, get into the other room. And I was going to get her right ticking off. But she didn't. All she did was she said, Brill, bring it on. I've got something in the freezer. And that facilitated people to be able to come and talk. And from that meeting, we organised a Bible study. And that would never have happened if she hadn't opened up the house, if she hadn't accepted all those people. And that's something that's really, really important, that we can't belittle the giftings we have. We can't belittle the giftings we have. If we look at Nehemiah, he did what my mum did. He stepped out. He served my mum's way of serving was different than Nehemiah's, different than the way I'm serving now, but she still stepped out and served. And I would put that to you. Are you stepping out and serving? Nehemiah stepped out as a cupbearer. Now, as a cupbearer, I can't imagine that's a great job, to be honest. You're walking around with a cup. Probably not the best uh, career focus, to be honest, but he did it. He wasn't sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He wasn't sitting there moaning, saying, God, what have you got planned for me? He was serving. He was serving. And the first point I'm going to throw out there is, are you putting yourselves in positions of service within the church? Are you doing what Nehemiah did? Are you offering up your gifts? Now, some of you might say, but I don't know what my gifts are. Well, I would say, do things until you find out, <laughs> to be honest. If you don't know what you're good at, do lots of things until you know what you're good at. I cannot imagine Nehemiah thought, I'm brilliant at holding a cup. But he just did it. He did it because he wanted to serve and honour God. You see, the Bible warns us about being lukewarm Christians. It warns us that not to be Christians who turn up on a Sunday, sing a few songs, have a cup of tea, a nice little chat, go home, come back next Sunday. Why? Because if we did this, we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're not seeing people get to know God. That's our purpose, to go and make disciples of men. God warns us not to be Christians who come, come on a Sunday and go home. You're not fulfilling your purpose, what God made you for. We need to step up and serve. What did the Bible say? What did Jesus say again? The harvest is great, but workers are few. There's not many of us. We've got jobs to do. And if you're not doing your job, somebody else is going to have to do double the work. We need to step up. So what did Nehemiah do? He'd stepped up. He'd been the cupbearer. Really boring job. What did he do? God wakes within him a passion. God makes him passionate about something. Now, Timothy Keller, who's a brilliant theologian, says that when you step out, God will. He doesn't say he might. He will wake within you a passion. He will wake within you a passion. What are you passionate about? The question I would say to you is, what are you passionate about? Do you know what you're passionate about? If you don't, start serving. If you do, brilliant. What do we do then? Well, once Nehemiah had stepped out, he'd become passionate. And I've just missed a little bit out. I'm just going to come back to you that when he became passionate, he'd stepped out and he heard about the remnant. And he'd heard from his 
there, that the remnant was suffering, that there was problems going on. So he started to weep. And it was a godly righteousness, a godly passion, a godly passion that was awoken within him. And again, I would just come back to the question, what are you passionate about? What is your passion? Are you passionate about seeing people saved? If not, you probably need to realign your, your focus. We're called to make disciples of men. Your purpose is to go and see people saved. What are you passionate about? And that's something that when I was preparing this, I had to re-examine myself, to be honest. I've got lots of things going on in my life. I've had a busy, busy year. This year's been crazy. And actually, when I was preparing this and I was chatting to Han, actually, probably, to be honest, and I'll stand and hold my hands up, I wasn't probably as passionate about my calling as I should be. Work was getting in the way. Family issues were getting in the way. And so this has actually been a real wake-up call for me. My purpose is to bring glory to God. In bringing glory to God, I need to go make disciples of men. So Nehemiah, he's stepped out, he's served. We've stepped out in church, we've served. God's woken within you a passion. You've got a passion now. You can think, oh, okay. God's starting to get something on here. Well, what did Nehemiah do then? He prayed and he fasted. Nehemiah prayed and he fasted. And that's a really good example for us there because sometimes we can get so excited, so passionate, that we go, I can remember once organising something, uh, having an idea in a church I went to a long, long time ago. And I went to the pastor and said, I've got this really good idea. And he said, have you prayed about it? And he was like, nope. I was like, right, I need to go back and pray. Because we need to just double check with God that what we're passionate about is a godly thing. Well, how do we know if it's a godly thing? Well, does it contradict the word of God? If yes, it's not. Does it cause others to sin? If yes, it won't be from God. So straight away there, we've got three steps. We've got, you're putting yourself in a position to serve. Are you putting yourself in positions? God will wait within you a passion. What are you passionate about? The third point, are you praying and fasting about it? You see, with Nehemiah, he started to pray. And I can't imagine straight away he got that feeling because fasting takes a while. Be prepared to fast and pray for a while to find your purpose within the church. Now, the final thing that Nehemiah did was he waited. And as humans, we are rubbish at this, particularly nowadays. We are rubbish at waiting. I'm rubbish at waiting. I'm very impatient sometimes. You see, Nehemiah waited until God provided the opportunity for him to step out in his purpose. Because although we might have stepped out, although we might feel passionate and we've prayed and it's the right thing to do, God doesn't always say, Go away straight away. Go and do it straight away. Sometimes he says, whoa, hold back a little bit. Just hold back a little bit. Now there's a brilliant example of the famous worship leader, Tim Hughes, and I've listened to an interview with him. And he said that he went to a practice and the worship leader identified he had a real gift in, a real skill, a real skill. And so the worship leader went to the pastor and said, Tim Hughes, this guy called Tim, he's got an amazing gift in. And so what did the pastor do? The pastor went to Tim Hughes and he said, right, Tim, I want you to put the chairs out. And I can imagine probably his face, he's, oh, oh. But there was a reason for that because he was testing to see his heart. He was checking that his motives were good. He wasn't coming on the stage just for a performance. He wanted to see his heart. And sometimes we need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared for God to say, just stop a minute. You've prayed, you've served, you've checked your motives, you've fasted and double-checked that this is what you want me to do. 
This is what I want you to do. And then God sometimes will say, wait. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to do it. There's lots of people in the Bible that we look at who, when they're called to do something, God makes wait. And that's something I would say to you, that not to get discouraged in the times when you're waiting, not to get discouraged in the times where God says, whoa, Neddy, just hold on a little bit. Just hold on slightly. You see, to find our purpose, to put ourselves in positions of service, there are lots of jobs that need doing. Are you doing them? The second thing was, are you passionate? The third point, are you praying and fasting about what God wants you to do? Remember, we're all different parts of the body. God might use you in different ways. He might use me in a different way than Keith. He might use me in a different way than Bex. But that doesn't belittle what you're called to do. And finally, be prepared to wait. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for God's perfect timing? Because there's been times where I have thought I know better than God. I'm going to go and do it regardless. God, I know he wants me to do it. I think he's telling me to wait, but I'm just going to do it. And what happens every time? Fails. Doesn't work because God's not in it. Now, just to end with, I want to pose the question. Do you feel that you're fulfilling your purpose? If your purpose is to make disciples of men, do you feel that you're fulfilling your purpose to the best of your ability? Are you serving him and fulfilling your commission? It's a hard question. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can let the life God has given us influence our purpose rather than letting our purpose influence our life. Now, I have a really, really busy job, quite a stressful job, actually, to be honest. And there's been times where I've let work dominate my life. And my purpose, which is to make disciples of men, goes to one side. And I get more focused on work. I get more focused on things, assessments, marking test papers, marking books. That actually, I lose my focus. And my life influences my purpose, not the other way around. Your purpose should influence your life. Making disciples of men should be the key priority to your life. Now, Mark spoke something uh, last week, it was, and he was talking about when we meet God, when we stand before God and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I, when he said that to me, it hit me straight away. And I, because God isn't going to stand before me. I'm not going to stand before God, sorry, and say, God, this is my life. And he's not going to turn to me and say, Andy, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those children have passed the tests. He isn't going to say that to me. He's not bothered. He wants me to do well in my job. But my commission, my calling, is to go and make disciples of men. And that was something that really struck me there because he's created me to go and tell people about him. And at times, I don't have the right balance. Do you? Just to end with, C.S. Lewis brilliantly says that, I love C.S. Lewis, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose you will certainly carry out God's purpose however how you act makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or John I'm just going to say that again that was really profound to me when I read it you will certainly carry out God's purpose however you act but it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John we were created to bring God glory. We're created to bring him joy. That's our purpose. We need to step up, get involved with church, and serve here and in the community in order to share his name. 
And I would say, if you don't know God, I would say that God has selected you for a purpose. And that's a really reassuring fact. You've been crafted, knitted for a specific purpose. Call out to God and he'll reveal himself to you. And that applies even if you've been a Christian for a long, long time or you're just a Christian. Call out to God. Your purpose is to make disciples of men. Are you fulfilling your purpose? I'm just going to close with a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that you've created us, Lord God, that we're not here by accident. Lord God, that we're not here by mistake, that you've knitted us, you've designed us for works for you, Jesus. Lord God, I thank you that you've given us the privilege of being able to share your name to people. You've given us the privilege of being able to share your name with those around us in the church and in the community. Lord God, help us to step up. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Heavenly Father, help us to step up, not to be Christians or people who come to church just to socialise, but to be people who roll our sleeves up and get stuck in. If we pray that you would wake passions within us. As those passions are awakened, Lord God, help us pray and fast that we can come and get to know you, Jesus, that we can come and learn what your heart is for our lives. And finally, as we wait... Help us to draw close to you, Jesus. Help us to lean into you so that we can hear your promptings as you develop our skills, Jesus. Lord God, we apologise for the times when we haven't stepped up to the plate, where we've left the work for other people, Jesus. We thank you that you're a God of grace. We thank you that you're a God of mercy and a God of love. And we pray, God, that you would just convict us and show us what our purposes are, Jesus. Show us how you want us to serve. We praise your glorious name, Jesus. Amen.